Hi, this is Mike Love of the Beach Boys, and you're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys podcast. Sponsored by Endless Summer Dizzy and Billy with I'm a Fool from April 1965, probably their biggest hit. Today we're going to be talking with Billy Hinchy about his friend Ricky Martin and how his friendship was forged and how he got to know Ricky. But before we get into that, I wanted to start and have Billy kind of explain kind of the, the, the friendships themselves and, and how Dino and Dizzy and Billy got their start and how that led to his friendship with Ricky. Here's Billy telling us about the past. Well, I met Dino at school at age seven. He was a new kid in town, and uh, him and his sister Dina and his brother Ricky were in the higher grade and the lower grade, respectively. Dina was in my sister's class. Ricky was in a younger class. Um, Dino and I became best friends for life at that age and were inseparable. I uh, went to the house a lot. He was at our house. 
And over time, uh, we did everything together, and um, including, you know, all the young kid things, bicycles and skateboards and go-karts, and then we did sports together in Little League, and um, so it was a real, honest-to-goodness, best-friend kind of relationship. And Ricky was sort of just a little kid brother, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Didn't really pay much of attention. I liked Ricky. Um but uh, it was Dino and me that had the strong friendship. <clears throat> then one day, a couple of years after I met Dino, the Barnes kids came to school. Lucy was in my class and Desi was in a younger class. Um, yeah, Desi was in a class younger than us, and then Ricky was in the next youngest class. So that's how the age thing spread was. Um, and uh, I didn't, you know, I was friends with, friendly with Lucy as a classmate, but I didn't really know Desi. But then when Dino and I became enamored of music in the 60s, like most everybody else, when the Beach Boys and Beatles came along, and boy, there was excitement in the air, we decided to pick up a couple of guitars and learn some songs. I taught Dino a couple of chords that I knew, because I was really musically trained from an early age. You know, from age three, I was getting tutored on piano, and then I learned the violin at seven, and then I uh, learned ukulele in Hawaii on vacation. And so anyway, I had a background much more extensive than Dino musically, the formal training. So we were playing simple guitar songs, and then we decided one day, you know, we need a drummer for, we, you know, if we want to really have more of a band. So one day we asked Desi in the schoolyard if he wanted to join our group and he said sure you know make a group or you know what I mean be a group and he accepted so he was our drummer and then we were still playing uh, acoustic guitars we realized we needed to get electric guitars and then Dino played bass and that's the that's the crux of it and it was part of friendship and you know nothing it was just pure joy of music and friendship so how I would describe it there was nothing there was no you know, really, I don't know, we, had, we didn't really have a goal other than just to practice and play and just have fun, you know?
is freedom the one who reprise billy hinchy single from 1971 recorded at brian wilson's home studio in bel-air california and co-written with jack riley that's right jack riley of course if you're a longtime beach boy fan you know the name it's from 1971 sir sub album primarily but by 71 jack was also the group's manager he co-wrote long promised road feel flows and a day in the life of a tree and in fact, on the Surf's Up album, if you listen to this song, A Day in the Life of a Tree, that's Jack Riley on lead vocal. <laughs> We're going to get started now. We've had Billy talk about Dino, Desi, and Billy we, and um, the formation of, of those friendships and how he met Ricky and how he knew Ricky. But now we're going to get started on more about Ricky Martin, who he was in as an individual, and working on the Beached album. For for the hardcore Beach Boy fans, just as a quick aside, Ricky ended up taking the fairly well-known uh, cover photo for the Sunflower album. Yeah, how about that? Ricky was uh, multi-talented, and I wanted to <coughs> address that. Ricky was the guy that you'd call to fix your very complicated stereo system. Like Carl and Annie did that on a regular basis. Ricky would be the go-to guy. He knew just innately how to wire up stuff and make it look really great and, you know, tuck all the wires away and make it look beautiful. And even my dad called to come over and put some speakers in our living room. And I don't know how he learned this. You know, they didn't teach it at school. And I'm talking at quite a young age, uh, you know, maybe the high school years, you know what I mean? And uh, very good uh, with technical things. He, he, he liked to uh, tinker. You know, he was the guy that could put together the, the great um, model airplane. Yeah, Dino was the same. They, they had attention to detail, but Ricky particularly was the go-to guy for stuff like that. So photography was, you know, in its way, technical and, you know, complicated. He, he mastered it. And he ended up taking photos for his dad's show later on that were used, you know, NBC used them as, you know, promo mm-hmm. photos for the show. Uh, that, that Ricky, that, that you and Ricky began to get, uh, become closer, more familiar with one another. Yeah, it was when DD&B started to, you know, not be much of a group anymore. And um, that's my simple answer, you know, and... Um, Dino was hanging out with different people, and Desi was hanging out with different people, and 
you know, Ricky and I just were, you know, we really hit it off. He's a great guy, very funny. That is to be stressed. He was just incredibly funny. Well, so was Dino, but Ricky has, you know, because from their father, who was obviously very funny in his own right, and uh, they just had a great sense of humor. When you say sense of humor, they have a great one. And, and Ricky was just funny and always in a great mood. Um, just a happy-go-lucky guy. And he was just a fun hang, you know? Is there any uh, particular story that comes to mind that showed Ricky's more sentimental or loving or caring or passionate side? Well, in his music, the story goes that, you know, Carl heard Ricky play one day and he liked it. But the, but I like to say that I first heard Ricky play and these beautiful songs, you know, Stop Looking Around was the first song you wrote. I was like, wow, where did that come from? And I, and then I told Carl, Carl, you got to hear Ricky. She's really good. And Ricky came and played some songs on Carl's and his piano there at Coldwater. And that was the beginning of it. And you know, gratefully, Carl included me in the production process where I learned a whole lot standing by the side of, of the master, Carl, you know. If you can just share a little bit more about the, the personalities coming together and getting the, yeah. best, the best out of one another. Yeah, well, first of all, this musical talent of Ricky's was completely out of the blue. All of a sudden, he sits down and plays me a completed song. It's like, where... And it was really good. Like I said, I was blown away. I was like, wow, you know. And then when, when Carl heard him, he, he had the same reaction. And I think Carl, you know, asked or encouraged him to write some more. Okay. And Carl took, you know, like an immediate interest. What was nice about the three of us, now that you mention it, is that I didn't have the... Um, I didn't have Dino and Desi around anymore, which I'm saying was a good thing. Not that I didn't love them, but I mean, in the professional sense, there was no, you know, because I was always within a group, a little, um, well, a little competition, if you will, um, for, 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 you know, producing this and that and, uh, you know, who's going to get a song credit. So, so Dino and Desi were out of the picture for me, which made it a lot lightened my load. And with Carl, all the Beach Boys were out of the picture for him, which lightened his load. Uh -huh. So it was a certain freedom in the, all of this. And Ricky was just, wow, he was just so thankful and grateful and that he could step into something that was his own because older brother Dino was getting all the accolades musically, and you know what I'm saying? He finally found a niche. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, after DD and D, Ricky actually had a... Um, a group called Soul Support, S-O-U-L, the Soul Support, um, with Wayne Tweed and Wayne's brother Roland and, and a good guitar guy, and Ricky was the drummer. So, you know, Roland was on B3. Ricky, so Ricky had a musical sense, but I always looked at him as, oh, he's a drummer for, for that group, you know? And mm -hmm. it was, you know, completely different from D, D, and B. I mean, it was, you know, the Soul Support, you know? It was a rhythm and blues band, you know what I mean? So... Um, going back to Ricky, and you know they 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 had no success. You know what I mean? They're, they're, nothing happened, but they tried. Um, so now Ricky's stepping into his own, not only uh, as a you know. And now he's free of soul support. Now he's a solo artist. You see, so it was a beautiful coming together of 
three, well, three spirits who really, really loved each other. I mean, uh, great friends, and um, it was a really beautiful uh, uh, combination. A nice, beautiful, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mixture uh, of, of friends and our intentions were all good, and you know what I mean? It was all very positive. The, this process of putting together an album has started, so how did all these guests come in? How did that yeah. happen? Um, well, let me say that Carl, uh, I believe, encouraged Ricky to write more songs. Hey, let's, let's go in and record. And Ricky was like, great, you know, because they, they had BRI Studio at the time. <laughs> so... Um, and then try to get you a deal was the you know was right away. Let's let's go for the gold here and uh, not just go in and dick around and you know do some recording and hey isn't this nice? So Carl wanted to you know he saw Ricky as a recording artist, singer songwriter. So that was uh, that was that. And then slowly slowly um, we started uh, asking people to come in. Well, let's start with Van Dyke. Um, there was a song or two that we thought would, you know, he would work well. You know, uh, oh, he actually Van Dyke got us a guy named Chili Charles, who he worked with with Van Dyke on some of his stuff. He was a, uh, you know, from Trinidad Tobago, played the steel drums. And we thought, well, you know, let's get Van Dyke down here and see what kind of flavor he can add to this. And we knew it was going to be great, and it was. We were right in the thick of it with Chicago. We, I think we had just done our first tour with them. Let me think. Well, we're getting ready to. Well, the um, I'm looking at the liner notes to, from the album, and it's saying that the album took 75 to 77 to do. So if this is in 75-ish, you guys just came off the Beach Ago tour. Yeah. Okay. So that, that explains that. Yeah. So we were all pals, and... Uh, Gosh, it's like, yeah, wouldn't it be great to get the Chicago horn section, you know? And uh, it's like, yeah, it sure would. So I remember Jimmy Panko, a thousand bucks and a case of beer. That was his price to write a chart for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guys uh, came down to the studio, and so that was that, which was a dream. I mean, I attempted to write a horn chart, which was really adventurous of me since I had no idea what I was doing. But my golly, they tried to play my terrible horn chart, and they, it was awful. It sounded terrible, not because of them, but because I didn't know how to write for horns. I was never trained, so that's just sort of a little aside. But I got a kick out of them trying to play my, my horn chart. It just didn't work out. And I just said, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? Thanks for trying. Um, now, Peter, of course, similarly, was you know he and Carl had a, a forged a friendship on the road. <clears throat> they were, <clears throat> I mean, we're all friendly. The Beachago gang. So you know, certain people gravitated towards certain people. So Carl and Peter had a particularly closer friendship than let's say Carl and uh, Terry. Okay. Uh, but I'll bet you shiny quarter Terry would have come down in a heartbeat if Carl had asked him to play guitar. It's just that Peter was the appropriate guy for this thing. And I cannot tell you, it, it was just a joy. I, I, in a way, I've never had so much fun recording an album. 
you know. I didn't make those calls to the the biting Chicago Heart section or Peter. Absolutely, it was Carl. The one guy that I did bring in with, that I thought was a very good cat was Steve Ross. Okay. Uh, he was a monster guitar player, and I knew him through guitar, and um, he was hanging out with uh, the you know, Fleetwood Mac people, and I heard him play, and he was effing awesome. And I said, Carl, we've got to get this guy Steve Ross in to you know, play the solo out on this. You know, one of the tunes, the title escapes me, but that's him. And then at the end, and then we doubled his guitar and then tripled it doing different solos, and then we intertwined them, sort of the way Jim Gersio did with Terry Cap. I don't know how we got Jimmy McCulloch from Wings, but he showed up when Danny and Bagali uh, played some guitar. So that, that and in America, I mean, heck, they would do anything for Carl. And, uh, I guess Jerry sang on the album? Yeah, Jerry did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was how that all came about. Let's talk about Everybody Knows My Name. This is the one track on the album that Carl co-wrote with Ricky. Um, what do you remember about the sessions for that song? Fun. Just great. That's another Peter Cetera. I can hear his voice in my head right now. Uh, if you re-listen to it, yeah. it just really jumps out. I don't, I don't remember that Carl and Ricky co-wrote that. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying I wasn't present. And I couldn't tell you what Carl wrote. Uh, or what Ricky wrote. I, I, I assume Ricky wrote the majority and Carl, you know. Yeah. Uh, Ricky wrote every track, and with the exception of Everybody Knows My Name, which was co-written by the two. Okay. Uh, I, I remember... Dum, dum, I mean, that's exactly the, the drum fill Fatar played, because it's so great. I mean, Fatar played some, some incredible drums in that album on that album don't you agree oh yeah i was that's that was what was catching me last night was the background vocals but the percussion was kind of oh floor, flooring me last night that yeah 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 it was it's extraordinary uh and then and then of course the, 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 the tracking sessions now i remember playing keyboard on that i played a variety of keyboards all the beach board keyboards i was using the clavinet for once you know one uh approach and then uh gosh we'd had the, the arc string ensemble which was sort of a new new instrument at the time a polyphonic string instrument that i played on um i had a dream but you asked me about uh, everybody knows my name yeah just fun and that in the set vocal session with peter was just like wow i'm, I'm singing a track with peter sedera it is awesome mm -hmm. and carl and yeah and i, I guess bobby uh, as well, the shoot a bop, shoot a bop, 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 shoot a bop. I remember Peter going like uh, sugar pops. You know that was a cereal. Yeah. We just had fun with it. We just, uh -huh. It was. I'm telling you, it was the loosest, funnest sessions. There was never any uptightness or. And it was just so positive. Is what I remember. And I, I think that touches on that speaks to what you were touching on a little bit ago, where everybody was in this environment. For Rick, well, for Carl doing it for Ricky, but it was like everybody wasn't under their own group umbrella. Let me put it to you this way: in '65, '66, which were DD and B's big years, Gene was the highest-paid person on television. He was he was across the board: TV, movies, 
recording. Don't forget, Everybody Loves Somebody knocked the Beatles out of position number one on the charts. Uh, he did it all. Oh, a nightclub acts. So he was like the top entertainer, you could say, in the world. Yeah. Oh, also, not to mention, going back to the 40s with Dean and Jerry, they were as big as the Beatles. They had the throngs of people outside their hotel room, just like the Beatles. It's hard to believe because we didn't live through it, but yeah. that's how big they were. Of the tracks on the album, what other what what one comes to mind that you'd really like to talk about? Stop look around, because that was the crown jewel of the album for me. The, it was the first song we wrote, it's the first song we recorded. It just was almost like a perfect song. I thought um, the great lyrics, interesting lyrics, beautiful, beautifully sung, good chords, very Beach Boy chords. Um, Done in the key of F, uh, which is an interesting key. Not not everybody chooses the key of F, but that's just you know one of the elements. Um, I think Jerry Beckley sang on that. It was just so moving. It was such a beautiful ballad and great sentiments and touching. And Ricky's voice was so unique. I thought. How would you describe? Ricky's style. Boy, let's see. He wasn't a rocker. 
he was like a, I don't know, almost like a, a crooner in a way, but a rock and roll pop crooner. I don't know, I never really characterized him that way, but, you know, he wasn't a, a screamer. No. Uh, even the upbeat stuff, he had a control. I guess like, a, like an evolved version of his father evolved in, in the sense that it was a younger, hipper, not, not that Dane wasn't hip, because he was totally hip, but you know what I'm saying, it was just the next generation Dean Martin approach. Was actually a better singer than Dino. When I when I listen to Vic, Ricky's uh, patterns, vocal patterns, for for lack of a better word, um, it almost strikes me like a jazz rap. Yeah. Style. Yeah, he didn't have a real wide range, or at least I never he never demonstrated that to me or on record or in his writing. You know what I mean? He was right in a certain range. He didn't sing "Wheel Blow." He didn't sing falsetto. You know, he was right in that, you know, singer's range, just a uh, young voice, mm-hmm. you know, a young voice of the generation, right? It, there's something interesting that I noticed because I've listened to the album a hundred times. Ricky uses the, the word mind, M-I-N-D, about 12, 14 times within the course of the song, the album. You listen. And you count up how many times. It's like, he, and I noticed it, and I brought it up to Carl. But it's just interesting that maybe, I, I, I subconscious, conscious, I don't know, but the word mind works its way into many of Ricky's lyrics. Also, the notion of crying comes in to his lyrics uh, frequently, I noticed. You know, you worked with... Dennis, you worked with Ricky, you worked with Carl um, on individual projects, and certainly each each one of those projects has their own quality uh, to it. How would you describe the Beached album to someone who's just never heard it before? It's a classic. From the songs, to the personnel, to the production, to the vibe of it, it's it's a easy listening album. It's multi layered. It's got the happy. It's got the sad. Um, uh, Ricky even touches on like sort of the science fiction. He the notion of spacemen or spaceships are flying up to Mars. Uh, pretty soon we will reach the stars. That's stop looking around and then and I had a dream. You know, he dreamed he was in a spaceship, I believe. So, um, it's a really interesting album. Uh, easy on the ears, you know, just a touch dark.
Hi, this is Carney Wilson. You're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode 10 of Good Vibrations. Appreciate it. And I want to thank my special guest, Billy Hinchy. You can catch Billy this coming spring and summer on Brian Wilson's uh, National World Tour. Brian is continuing into 2017. His, his shows in 2016 for the Pet Sounds 50th anniversary were so successful. He's continuing the tour uh, this year. He's going to, I think, at least 35 dates as it is, and I think they're still adding them. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that Billy's going to be on the road with Brian, which will be great. And uh, in the meantime... If you're, on Endless, if you're on Facebook, be sure to check out the Endless Summer Quarterly uh, Facebook page. Like us. Watch the post there. We have a lot of more free giveaways coming up in 2017. A lot of autographed items have already been, you know, a lot of items, Beach Boys albums from Acoustic Sounds, Capitol Records have already been signed by Mike and Bruce, and I'm, uh, I'm uh, doing my due diligence to get Al and Brian to sign them as well. So we're going to have a lot of great things for giveaways for the uh, subscribers this year. So... Head on over to esquarterly.com. Once you're there, you can listen to the songs coming out of the jukebox. And right right behind the jukebox is a palm tree. At the top, it says subscribe to the magazine. Click on that link. It's a signpost. Just click on that link. It'll take you right to the correct page with all the information. It's a really easy process to subscribe to the magazine. In 2017, Endless Summer Quarterly is celebrating the 50th anniversary of Smile, the 50th anniversary of Smiley Smile, the 50th anniversary of Wild Honey, and... The 50th anniversary of the live album that almost happened, Late in Hawaii. So that's a story in itself. We've got four issues planned, and we have a special bonus full-color edition just on Smile coming up this year. It's all heading this way in Endless Summer Quarterly in 2017, so you'd be sure and subscribe right away. Thanks for tuning in.